Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Good morning, and you are listening to Spiritual Intelligence. I'm your host, Ima Sumac Watkins, and I want to say hello to my family and my family out there, the planet family who listens to us across the planet. Um, thank you for once again, thank you for your uh, emails and your response, and I definitely give them to you. And I thank you for listening and stopping back in with us. We have Nathan Hanks with us. He is an American writer, scientist, combat veteran, cultural commentator. Hanks deployed uh, to Baghdad, Iraq in 2007 and spent the following decade in an unconscious quest to find peace. Uh, While in graduate school, Hanks uh, was graced with spontaneous mystical experience that altered the focus of his life in in profound ways. Uh, But in the process, was it without its doubt and confusion? So he started the Humboldt Lighthouse podcast to find answers from Humboldt County, California, California. it's spiritual community and alternative, a spiritual and alternative community, excuse me. Um, Hanks lives in the Pacific Northwest where he works as a scientist and manager and manages, excuse me, about Face It, a veterans healing sanctuary nonprofit. Um, good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on, Ema. Absolutely, Nathan. There's a, there's a lot to cover because... When I first found out about Nathan, he was, I ran across his podcast and something just kept driving me back to what it was about. And I found out more about Nathan and I made a contact with him. Very interesting conversation. And I just had to have him on the show because of, you know, all the things that he's doing. And so let's start with how did this all come about to you you go to Baghdad you're uh, you come back and let's just pick it up from there what what happened what happened with this this that got you on this journey uh, and also about you know your touch of course we're going to talk about about face it but let's start there absolutely uh, I think a lot of um what brings people uh, to the seeker's path or the spiritual path, at least in the beginning, is trauma, identity issues as well. A lot of times, uh, maybe some sort of dissonance, a cognitive dissonance in their life that drives them to realize there's something amiss. So coming home from Iraq, I realized Actually, while I was still overseas, I was a drone operator. I was flying 12-hour missions seven days a week um, during the civil war between Sunni and Shia. Um, You know, there were times where, well, we were getting shot at frequently. We had incoming mortar fire regularly. 
the building I lived in got hit with mortar rounds three times in one week <laughs> at one point. So it was pretty pretty hairy. And then at the same time, you're boxed up in this shelter, uh, looking down at the combat space. And while I wasn't in the streets kicking indoors, I had more intellectual freedom to let my mind roam as I was observing combat. You know, there'd be times where you'd go to or get a call to go uh, check out an area, and it was an area that had just been attacked. So you'd go and you'd see a Humvee flipped over, and you know, the tires would be on fire and be billowing smoke, and you just knew, yeah, there's some 19 or 20 year old US soldiers in there burning alive. And he just had time to ruminate on these things. So I really started questioning my values. You know, as war, you know, when you're a kid, um, especially in like a conservative area of the country, uh, there's a lot of mystique around the military, you know, a lot of honor, loyalty. And you see all these advertisements on the television, you hear them on the radio. You watch NFL games and they've got soldiers on the fields. It's all very, it all seems very honorable and like the correct thing to do. But the until, was, until you get there, this, yeah, until you get there, and then you start asking deeper questions because it is actually challenging you in very profound ways, deep ways. And you know, then I started thinking about geopolitics and all those things that the troops on the ground shouldn't be thinking about. <laughs> but I had the time to let my mind roam and kind of think, oh, do we need to be here? Um, is this actually an honorable mission? And, and then you start to investigate. So what drove me into the spiritual path essentially was that the world I thought I lived in um, as, growing up as a kid, the world wasn't real. Uh, or at least that's what I had a sneaking suspicion of that some of those um, standard assumptions and presuppositions, both the way things are, those were not accurate. So that sent me on a quest and came home from Iraq. I had the, you know, the standard, there's kind of a, an arc that soldiers go through when they come home. There's like a heavy drinking phase and then there's like a destructive drinking phase. <laughs> and then people find different outlets and coping mechanisms. And, you know, the healing process can take, you know, decades. Um, right. And it's all, being, it's all, is it, yeah, go would ahead. you say that, that it's all, would you say that it's all individual? Is it an individual process? And would you say that you have, or did you have, or are you healing from PTSD? I would say that each individual processes it differently and uh, processes the traumatic experiences differently and their healing process is different, but I would say it's an archetypal journey that mm -hmm. all humans take, even regardless of the amount of trauma. I would say mm -hmm. in hindsight, I was dealing with some PTSD. Uh, I don't, it wasn't severe, but it was enough that, I had a low level, maybe a high level of anxiety in my life, just as an example. Mm -hmm. And I look back and kind of shake my head. Um, when I was in college, uh, 
when there was a test on the horizon, it would kick me into fight or flight mode. And I would just study, 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 because in my mind, uh, I was, there was an impending uh, existential threat coming up. <laughs> uh, so I'd study, study, and I did really well in school. I made it through six years uh, with straight A's. I got a full ride scholarship to graduate school. And Congratulations. You know, yeah, thank you. But when I look back at it, it wasn't healthy. You know, it, was, mm-hmm. it wasn't good for me. <laughs> So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd push myself hard, harder than necessary, and I didn't really know enough to realize that, you know, it's okay to get a B. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's just an anecdote. I would say when I came home, you know, I started coping with this anxiety or I was interacting with the world differently. And I was, like I said in the, like you said in the intro, I kind of began that unconscious quest to find peace. I didn't know what I was doing consciously. It wasn't like I didn't even consciously realize I felt bad. I just said something's amiss. Uh, And then my body, natural, it's natural intelligence. It wanted to start feeling better. So with time and clarity, uh, I started reaching towards the wisdom traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't get the answers from the culture around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get the help I needed from at a spiritual level from the VA. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wasn't into spirituality at all. Like if my mind at that time in my life, you know, I had grown up Roman Catholic. They had tried their best to teach mm-hmm. me how to Sunday school, all those things, confirmation. And if you had said the word spirituality, I just would have laughed. You know, that's all kooky stuff that, you know, just make believe. So I was really closed off to that. So I didn't pursue that uh, immediately. I looked for the wisdom traditions and I was turned off by Judeo-Christian traditions. So I looked to the East. Initially, the teaching that that I gravitated towards was the Tao Te Ching. Which mm-hmm. is the the way of the soul, <laughs> and it's just a collection of I believe eighty four or eighty eight uh, short poems, and then the types of poems where you can read them. You know, you can read it in twenty seconds, and then you can mm-hmm. just sit there and con- contemplate it for a full day if needed, a full lifetime if needed. They're fairly profound, and I. You know, I'd start practicing different ways of perception, different ways of acting in the world, because I'd pretty much disregarded standard American life, standard American values, standard American pursuits and aims and goals. I, mm-hmm. you know, I threw all those out as well. I said, I'm not going to pursue that because if the whole American, uh, narrative, uh, some might mm-hmm. say propaganda that got me overseas um, and got a bunch of troops, you know, an entire generation of soldiers struggling, hurting, um, mm-hmm. then I'm just not, I don't really value that. <laughs> Those are my values. Right. And so, so, I mean, it, you're, you're taken from an idea um, and a belief and you're, you go into say war zone 
and your of course your reality is altered immediately and your soul speaks out like you know it's 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 altered it's no longer you know your belief system is starting to crumble because it's not in affinity with your spirit correct yeah, I, I mean I, that, I, that's just the first time I realized that you know there is an internal intelligence inside of us and then mm-hmm. you used the word soul a lot of mm-hmm. people will say you know intuition or something mm-hmm. but there is a cognitive dissonance and you can get that cognitive dissonance uh, consciously in your mind mm-hmm. where you can ruminate mm-hmm. on it as I spent time and you can also get that cognitive dissonance you know subconsciously or even at the level of your soul if that's the language you choose to mm-hmm. use and spirit, soul. Mm-hmm. I, yeah I would say at the level of spirit or subconscious mm-hmm. those are almost the most mm-hmm. dangerous for your health because <laughs> you're going to mm-hmm. uh, react to situations and um, choose paths that don't necessarily make sense to you they're kind of mm-hmm. um reactionary in a way until you can make those things conscious um Mm -hmm. carl jung carl jung has a good quote that until you make the unconscious forces in your life conscious um you're you're essentially a a slave to them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know a lot of us in hindsight you know you know when you're on a journey and i assume anyone who's lived a long life can look back on things they did in their youth and say, I may have rationalized it a certain way, mm-hmm. but in all actuality, I actually did it for this reason. Okay. So I think that our mind can rationalize anything, whereas our, we're just kind of going to do what our spirit needs to do <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so yeah. tell us about this mystical experience that happened. I'd like to know more yeah, about so, Yeah, so... I made it to graduate school, and at this time I was so curmudgeon and uh, my life force was so shut off that it felt do or die. You know, I was about to go out into the world, get a career, and I, I mean, what's the point? To make money for what? To, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in a way, I was just questioning everything. And very fortunately, this doesn't happen to many graduate students, but, you know, I had my, my stipend because it was a full ride, and mm-hmm. all my work was in the lab for the summer, and mm-hmm. I wasn't doing the lab work for several reasons, and I essentially had the summer off, and I had found yoga prior to this. You know, I had a sore hip, and I thought... Well, I've heard of people doing yoga. It helps you stretch, and um, maybe mm-hmm. we'll work this thing out of my hip. So I started going to yoga before the summer. I was getting familiar with it, and there was something about it that just I just kept going back. It, there was a I never had any big releases or tears or anything, but there was something about the practice, um, something calm, and I was so. So in my head at this time that I would just go to the yoga studio, I wouldn't talk to anyone. Uh, I felt like an outsider, 
all the time. I just always felt like I didn't fit in. So, you know, I was just kind of disconnected from everything, from the people around mm-hmm. me, uh, from mm-hmm. my community, uh, from my classmates, my teachers. And, you know, in hindsight, everyone liked me. I was a good student. Um, but I just, that's just not how I was receiving it because I had what, this narrative in my mind <laughs> that it just wasn't what, what, that I just What did you study, in. by the way, Nate? I mean, Nathan, what was it that you studied? What I was studied it? crop and soil science in undergrad oh, okay. and then okay. soil, soil and water chemistry in graduate school. So I was okay. working with hydroponics. I was working in the greenhouse, which was, I think, growing plants is healing. So mm-hmm. I thought it worked out pretty well. But I ended up having the summer free, and little did I know, um, I've since learned more about the yogic path through my podcast and interviewing yogis. Um, little did I know that I was just kind of naturally adopting the yogic lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was waking up with the sun, I was going to bed with the sun, I disconnected my internet, which... Uh, I would recommend to anyone who wants mm-hmm. to have a transformation. You know, there'd be times where I'd just be sitting in the, on the couch and be like, oh, what should I do? I think I'm going to go for a walk. That doesn't really happen when you have the internet available to yes. you. Well, it's not to me. And, yeah. So the, there was, it was very disciplined. I would go to the, I would carry a kettlebell and my yoga mat in my backpack and I'd hike across uh, across the town there's some big hills and there's a city park uh, mm-hmm. kind of in the center of town and I'd go do sprints and do kettlebell and, and end with yoga and all this time I'm fairly isolated my mind is going inward I'm you know, I'm beginning to investigate my inner experience or emotions and feelings and this is all new territory for me I've been so mm-hmm. focused on the external reading books about economics, uh, geopolitics, all these things, trying to make sense of the world. But the only way you can make sense of the world is make sense of yourself. <laughs> uh, so I'm going yeah. introvert, and which is all part of the yogic path. I'm kind of investigating my my inner world. My My outer world is pretty simplified. I'm living, living a very simple life. You don't make a lot of money uh, with mm-hmm. these graduate stipends. I had enough to cover rent and basic food. No extra money for entertainment or anything. And one day I was walking um, uh, just overlooking the mountains. I was looking out at the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I had my notebook with me like I always do. And there was a park bench and I sat on this bench overlooked the mountains and all of a sudden it felt I just felt this energy like grab hold of my body I'd never felt anything like it um it just grabbed mm-hmm. hold of my body and uh-huh. moved through me and I just had to write this poem and it was almost like locked me in my seat I was just mm-hmm. writing this poem out and it's mm-hmm. like a seven or eight page poem and it mm-hmm. felt so profound and it answered all my inner questions that at the end as soon as I like wrote the last word of that poem uh, Uh my consciousness shifted dramatically Um, and it felt as if 
I was seeing the world uh, as it truly was for the first time. Uh, my mind was completely quiet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, since I was in such a steady routine, I was able, and really isolated, I was able to maintain this level of consciousness for several weeks. And I would just walk around and look at things with child's eyes, <laughs> in a way. I'm like looking at a tree, and I'm actually seeing a tree. I'm not labeling it. It's just... Just, you're actually I guess seeing it's my it first time in life. Yeah. Yeah, you're actually yeah. seeing it for what it is. Yeah. yeah, it was my first time experience experiencing awe and wonderment. And it was profound. You know, I had read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle in mm-hmm. the past, somewhere on my journeys for understanding. And I liked how he's he's fairly intellectual about it and so I knew that this was something that could happen I wasn't consciously looking for that uh, but it's the it's one thread of understanding that kept me somewhat grounded like oh this is a thing that happens to people so that's okay this is okay <laughs> uh, and I was able to stay there for like I said two or three weeks and mm-hmm. just looking at things, I began to um, come to terms or an understanding of what God was. Like the word God, it's so loaded. Uh, there's so much baggage attached to it. I've never, I've never truly grasped, grasped, what people meant when they said that word. My mind was so closed to it. Uh, growing up Roman Catholic, you hear the stories of the vengeful God. Uh, mm-hmm. And as a kid, I had an infantile understanding of some guy in a chair with a white beard that would smite people. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just rejected all of that. But then when I had this experience, uh, you know, just this wonderment and awe and you're in such you're in the present moment and you just realize that everything that's happening uh, is a manifestation of this one energy this one chain of cause and effect that's been going on forever <laughs> uh, and that just inspires even more awe and it's like this positive feedback loop and eventually you just find the space of gratitude and understanding and for me just even reconciling the word god that was profoundly healing for me and in a sense it helps uh helps me begin to feel compassion a lot of compassion for people uh, especially people in organized religions um, including uh, my brothers and sisters over in the middle east with their conception of God and all the baggage that they're dealing with from their own upbringings. And things just started making a lot of sense. Uh, A lot of dots were connecting that I'd been trying to connect for the previous decade. Uh, But through this process, this was a challenge. Um, So on the yogic path, what I was doing is I was building up energy in my body. 
you know, they call it, some people call it prana, some people call it chi. Um, and I was moving it upwards. So I've essentially been storing it um, in the lower areas. I don't know, have you ever talked about chakras on this show? Um, yes, yes, all the time, yeah. all the time. Yes, okay. it's, it's poignant, but please, please go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so. I, I want to hear it from you. Okay, so what was happening, I was, you know, storing this energy, um, building this energy, sexual energy, creative energy, all this, and just keeping it inside of me, just storing it like a battery. And what I felt um, when this poem came out of me was this energy shooting up through me and out of me, out of the top of my head. And, you know, people will talk about uh, moving this energy or storing this energy kind of in the lower areas so that you can move it upwards through the other chakras all the way up to your crown chakra. And, you know, my experience of it, I felt those sensations. And I, you know, I'd also heard of the word kundalini before. And, you know, as these realizations began to deepen and as I began to truly wrap my head around the meaning of God and kind of immerse myself in that realization, um, I began releasing a lot of old patterns, old stories, old resentments, old traumas. And, you know, this was all a process of the energy flowing through me. And, you know, there'd be times where, you know, I'd have a revelation so profound that I just, I would just start weeping. And this energy would course through me and almost like, like an unwinding. It'd feel like something was unraveling inside of me and just releasing upwards. And it felt amazing. But it was a lot of energy told on to and I was not skilled I did not have skillful means uh, to handle this so that's where I I mentioned and or you mentioned in my bio that you know that was not without its doubts you know this whole process so I was able to maintain this feeling this sense of bliss and awe and wonderment uh, and then I had to go back to school you know, if I didn't finish my graduate program, I'd be on the hook for all this money they, that my scholarship provided. And I didn't want to be there. You know, I just went there because it was another, it was a thing to do. I, I didn't really have any real desires or ambitions. And on the spiritual path, that's a good thing. In Americanism, <laughs> that's not. Uh, so I... I went back to school and I'm still in this headspace. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, like, I'm aware of it. I have enough self-awareness that I, that I'm aware that my current experience is outside of the norm. Um, and I, I was taking three classes, graduate level physics, all this stuff, chemistry, and finishing up my, my thesis as I was presenting my thesis that same semester and it was just a lot to hold on to and this is where you begin to learn all these lessons of letting go and surrender <laughs> but the ego dies hard and 
you know, I was still trying to still trying to hold on to the sensations and perceptions and and realizations I'm having because that's like my inner world is so much more profound uh, and relevant than any of the outside world. <laughs> but I realized like I just really had to buckle down and uh, just pretend like the outside world mattered in that moment. Um, and that was a, a challenge. But this energy was coursing through me and all the stress came out during this time. And that just gave me more, more things to work on. More things became consciously aware to me. I would say that energy, when paired with that stress, manifested in um, some form of mania, I would say. It wasn't destructive or anything. It was just kind of my, my body and that energy coursing through me, um, giving me the tools I needed to make it through that time. Mm-hmm. And I did. I did fine. I presented my, my thesis, got that all checked off, and then I had about a year and a half of freedom. And I just went right back into, you know, a more expanded state, if you will. And I, you know, I drove out to California. I spent some time in Death Valley, hiking around. And then I was able to come out to California and have a friend with some land. And I came out and I began writing, writing a, or finishing up a book I'd been working on for a long time and kind of incorporating new insights into it. I wouldn't say it's a, a fully a spiritual book, mm-hmm. but it's, but it is about like the journey and the transformation. I only mentioned mm-hmm. the transformation at the end. I was so raw at this point. I didn't feel comfortable telling anyone about my experience because it is so far out of the mainstream. I was, I was worried that, you know, people would discredit my experience as being pathological, which mm-hmm. if you, have you ever heard of Stanislav Graf? Uh, that no, name I have sound not. Familiar? Yeah, it, it sounds re- familiar. Yeah, he's a researcher. Um, he did a lot of work with LSD in the 1950s, uh, mm. and then once that got banned, he's mm-hmm. so he's into consciousness, consciousness studies, and he's one of his books with his wife Christina. She's she had a Kundalini experience after giving birth. And she struggled with that as well. And they came up with this concept, this notion of like a spiritual emergence. Mm-hmm. And then they they believed that that could also sometimes result in a spiritual emergency, meaning mm-hmm. that the you know the process of transformation became so overwhelming that it became hard for people to um, keep up with their daily affairs. Right, because um, the, the, the the growth was was so huge that it's mostly it's in the body, and the body's releasing so much of the programming that it doesn't have. Um, it needs time for it to process, and a lot sooner. And the healing does help. Yes, yes, and yeah. that was they did a lot of research on that. Absolutely, they did a lot of research on that. Yeah, so I started finding this type of work as well at the at this or during this time because I started. Okay. After a certain point, I wanted to find context and clarity. Like, what the hell happened? What was that? Um, right. It was beautiful. It was awesome. I know it was transformative, and I knew 
um, just in my heart of hearts that it was it was a spiritual experience. I didn't have the language for it. You know, the yoga I was doing, I didn't necessarily have a, a teacher who lived in India for decades. I had, you know, I was a 22-year-old um, girl, and we listened to pop tunes, which was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was what mm-hmm. I needed at the time. But even that, that was enough for me to um, have these experiences, which I'm so grateful they happened. <laughs> how, how did you come about ahead. about faith? About faith and what that yeah. is about. Okay. So it comes down to meaning and where we place the value in our lives. And like I alluded to earlier, you know, the value systems of America, at least what we're sold through the television and all of that, is that we're supposed to have all this ambition for worldly things to be in the world. And uh, I'd already begun to see through that and realize that that was essentially a hollow pursuit that um, no matter how much you fed it, it it would never really fill the void. So I'd pretty much discounted that pursuit, the pursuit of wealth and gain and all those things. I basically discounted that. I still wanted meaning, still wanted purpose in my life. And, uh, you know, one of the realizations I had along the way after this uh, profound shift was like, yeah, there's no real way out of the, you know, growing up lower middle class, working class, there's no real way out of that. <laughs> uh, so I essentially resigned myself to, you know, my my fate. <laughs> And then I said, well, if I still have to live that lifestyle, you know, I, you know, in America, they don't really honor people that live in caves and just meditate all day. So I'll go okay. back into the world and figure that out. And it's like, well, that doesn't really feel meaningful at all. So I got to thinking, it's like, well, you know, the process of, you know, I, I said I was writing a book, that process, the process of inquiry and trying to put words to feelings um, and just investigate my internal experience through the writing process. That was Mm -hmm. very healing and that I attributed that process to much of my shift in thinking, my shift in values. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, if I'm, you know, I'm going to have to buy a house anyways, um, I might as well make it available to, to veterans so that I can help them through their process of transformation as well. Like that just made sense to me. So I was able to find a house after I got this. I I work as a research and development and quality control chemist for a plant fertility company. And I I purchased a home and has a a mother-in-law unit on it. That's definitely in need of some TLC. I've been working on that, trying to get it up to snow. But I bought the place because I knew all right, well, I need a place to live, so I'll get the house, and it's got the mother-in-law unit, and I can get that fixed up, and I can have veterans stay there, and then they can work on their art. Um, we can have conversations. Um, you know, I can, there'll be a bookshelf in there, and it'll have all sorts of books that helped me along my path, and, okay. you know, if they're open to it, maybe they'll soak up, or maybe they'll find the exact right sentence they need to read at a certain point in their life and their path, and that healing 
you know that that's what's needed in these times you know if mm-hmm. you have one i mean that can if you have one wounded soldier psychologically wounded spiritually wounded soldier that disrupts an entire family unit uh, mm-hmm. can disrupt a community of people so I, I feel it's important and i you know i feel for these people these are my my brothers and sisters and you know you take an oath i guess it's part of my ethos as well just my internal compass uh, leave no comrade behind so it just made yeah. sense for me it's like the most common sense thing in the world to do uh was to do this so Have what i'm you, trying to do i think uh, go ahead no i was going to say has this already started but you i remember you just said that your your brain just starting to put that mother-in-law unit into into uh, yeah. bringing it so up to yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm repairing it. I have had two veterans here. Um, mm-hmm. One just stayed in my spare bedroom for a few weeks. He needed a place to crash and get his head right. This is how um, intense it is in some people's experience. It was a friend, you know, we had deployed together. He lives in mm-hmm. Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he's dealing with all these similar issues that I have. Anxiety. He gets panic attacks. I never dealt with those. And he got in an argument with his wife. And he was so worked up and so on edge that he drove all the way from Ohio out to California just on a whim. And I just randomly got a text message, hey, I'm on my way. Because I told him what I was doing and, what I, you know, my vision. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. And, uh you know, that was just his nervous system responding in a specific way in a fight or flight response. He chose to flight. And fortunately there's a space here for him. I got him into yoga. I got him into uh, some good reading material. Um, Took him to a shamanic healing event. And Mm -hmm. you know, that was a big release for him. There were a lot of tears and all that stuff. And it was great. Um, but ultimately money was an issue and he had to end up going home. And then I've also had a veteran here. He's been helping me with some of the repairs and, um, you know, I'm just obviously paying for these repairs out of pocket and he's, you know, parole, possibly paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, but he, in a former life, he was a contractor. So mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these people that have, these issues, they feel isolated. They feel as if they've, you know, they're less than. So if you can, uh, part of the rehabilitation process is to make them feel seen and heard and okay. loved and all those all those good things. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, with the resources I have and the time and availability and energy I have, I try to put that out. Um, in ways that can help veterans in this community. And I my ultimate goal is to be able to offer um, artist residency. So mm-hmm. stipend to have someone come here that, you know, there'd be an application, you know, give me a sample of your art. What are you trying mm-hmm. to accomplish? What would you do when you're here? Um, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that people pursue their art and their craft and maybe puts them on a path to, uh, you know, having something meaningful they can share with the world. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the goal is to give them six months, make sure they have enough of a stipend to live off of, give them a pass to a yoga studio so they can go whenever they want, uh, introduce them to those sorts of things. And it mm-hmm. takes a tribe and the community I live in and just the connections I've made through my podcast. You know, these are all healers, people with big hearts. And I just foresee this as being a, a huge benefit for mm-hmm. not only the community and the individuals, but, uh, I mean, it extends out to anyone in the future who interacts with any of these people. Uh, all of us learning through this process. I've got one of my friends through the podcast. He's a shamanic mm-hmm. practitioner, but he's also trained in holotropic breathwork, which is mm-hmm. something developed by Stanislav Graf, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Holotropic breathwork is a way to induce altered state of consciousness um, naturally, and it does mm-hmm. result in profound shifts and healing events. So mm-hmm. this guy, Ben Allen, he was talking with three other holotropic breath workers. One's a psychologist, one's a psychiatrist, and they're trying to figure out, well, how do we do this for veterans? Like, how do you make a safe container once you open up that energy in someone and those emotions? How do you make it safe for them? So I, we'll I would probably like do some to, experimentation. <laughs> that, that, is, that is really great, and I'd like to, I mean, this is all, all that you're saying is, um, is really a beautiful way of alternative healing to help that soul. And I think when you and I spoke, I, I spoke to you about the World War II veterans who came back, the Navajo co-talkers and who came back into their tribe and how they were able to process and were able to have a better life from all the processing that they did when before they left and when they came home. But I also want to talk to you about tapping because the gentleman who created tapping did it for the Vietnam veteran. It is because he was testing it out. So I'd like to, you know, just kind of offer that up. And maybe you guys can, you know, also investigate that for you. Maybe that's another way of healing for you guys is tapping uh, the gentleman that you can look him up. He, that's what he created it for. He did the testing on Vietnam veterans. And so just look into that because I think it would be a really great also uh, something else that you can offer that just came up by the way. Is that the emotional freedom technique? Is that yeah. What? yeah, the the okay. tapping where you tap the the you know the different parts of your face and your hands, and um, it starts to release emotions. And this gentleman specifically did it with uh, in mind with the Vietnam veterans. I will certainly look that up. Thank you so much. And yeah, I know that that's something that's offered in this area. So I think maybe, and this is how. I've been pursuing the path now, um, trying to make my journey and my um, quest for uh, context and making that public through my podcast. So I'll probably track someone down that does this type of work and pick pick their brain for an hour (laughs) and figure figure out, get to the root of what's actually happening there. You know, people are releasing old patterns. Yeah. Yeah, this and you know, and and I what I really support what you're doing because um, the way that you have spoken is because it comes from a place of experience, and 
I, what I see is that you've connected the words with your emotions and your, how you express having your friend come and stay with you. You were able to help him because of all the journey that you shared with us you know, your own journey and your own experience. And you came out of it from one, from, you know, from where you were when you first got into college and coming out of it and where you are now. And that's, and, you know, having this, your friend come and stay with you and this other gentleman who's with you. I mean, it's, that's the healing just in itself because of just the understanding of having someone else understand when you were speaking about your experience and how you're able to help your friend, there's a lot of non-verbalness, non-communication. It's just the, the energy of being understood. Yeah, and that's one of the, perhaps one of the most powerful medicines for people is non-judgment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he, in this specific example, he came, uh, he arrived at my doorstep in a full-blown panic attack, Mm -hmm. kind of rambling like a madman, (laughs) and you know, that's cool. That's part of his process. There's energies that need to be released. Mm-hmm. And in the past where he was living with his wife and uh, her extended family in that community, if he had got to that state, uh, things would have escalated. The expectation would have been stop it. Uh, this isn't normal. Um, mm-hmm. get, your, get your stuff together even mm-hmm. potentially like a threat to call the police. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what you need. Um, there's a lot of energy that's stored up and it's going to stay mm-hmm. there until it's released. And then it just loses its power. At least that's exactly. how I perceive it. So, absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with you as I see it. it. Absolutely. And I, you know, and just the fact of what you had gone through and come out of, and, and I know it's all, it's still an ongoing process. But the fact that what the big chunk of time that you took to process yourself and to go through what you go through, it's like you were able to welcome him into your space and not match the panic that he was in. Instead, you created the space for him to have the healing time and just have understanding so he could find a safe place and release that panic energy, you know? So it's a yeah, very healing thing that, that you're doing, Nathan. It's I just wanted to, my observation and my and my seeing on it is I think this is a really great, um, you know. And I don't usually like to give my opinions because the show is about, but I just I I had to jump in because I I was just seeing so much healing going on. Yeah, and that's the that's the goal. The about face it, the name of a nonprofit. About face, uh, it's kind of like a. There's a couple of things going on with it. About face is a military um, order, like a marching order. You know, mm-hmm. when you see soldiers marching in file and they do mm-hmm. like a sharp looking turn to the right. You know, how do they do mm-hmm. that? You know, it's all these commands that we get. We you know, like when mm-hmm. we hear that, you just pivot on your heel and then you move to the right. Um, well, about face is one that means just to turn and face the opposite direction. You know, mm-hmm. so when a lot of soldiers come home from war, um, 
their experience is very outward, um, very destructive. So part of the, the name, and I know not a lot of civilians will fully grasp it, but I did it for the soldiers, uh, is to turn and face the opposite direction. So turn away from, you know, the anxiety and the fear and panic mm-hmm. and suffering and face the mm-hmm. opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, about face it, you know, the, everyone knows mm-hmm. what it means to face it. So it mm-hmm. gives people an opportunity to face everything, all the garbage, all this energy, all this stored trauma, you know, look at it in a safe space in a safe way and hopefully supported by the greater Humboldt County community of healers um, as this thing takes off and just look at it, process it, use your art to move that energy in a productive way instead of a destructive way. And then mm-hmm. hopefully at the end of their stay here, if, uh, if they're not fully healed, that they'll at least have the language and the and some tools. tools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to you know, continue to pursue that path if that's something that resonates with them. Now, the, uh, I have a couple of questions about this. Uh, first of all, are you okay by telling us where do you live? And does someone talk, if there is a veteran out there who wants to contact you, We, I do have, you know, uh, your website on the link, but I'd like for you to talk about that. So, and so where are you at with it right now and where is it going? What's, what's next for you as an individual, but also what's next for about face it. Well, I'll start with about face it. About face it at this point, um, the space is being built out. It's being re remodeled. I've been getting donations from around town, people that are, want to see this project take off sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say by by next spring, I'll be looking mm-hmm. for my first artist. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'll be spending my weekends and afternoons working in there, and I'll probably end up recruiting some veterans to help me uh, on days that require multiple hands on deck. You know, mm-hmm. veterans, veterans helping veterans is part of the ethos, and it just makes sense for people and brings purpose and meaning into people's lives, as it's doing for me as well. So I would say, you know, everything's going to go faster if I, if I have funds to help me along the way. But, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give people a link where they can help if they feel called to contribute. Absolutely. Um, and then I'd say in the springtime, I will, I'll be looking for, I'll probably get a grant. Uh, there's a organization in this area that helps um, nonprofits find funding. So I'll work with them. And then I'll be looking for uh, a veteran to come and stay five, six months. And there will be an application process. You know, have you, uh, just to see if people mm-hmm. are on the path of being an artist. Show me some of your art. Have you ever enrolled it in any sort of competition? Have you ever done a gallery? You know, depending on what their medium is. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, tell me what you're trying to accomplish. What's your vision? I will be looking for people that have, you know, I'm a writer. So one of the things I'll be looking for are writers, especially ones that have um, a message and uh, a strong voice to put out into the world. Um, we're living in fairly strange times. I think everyone can agree. I think we're at a phase where everyone's beginning to question like I was when I came home from Iraq, everyone's beginning to question a lot of the assumptions um, that co that form the core basis of our understanding of reality as Americans mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's an unsettling time. So, you know, I'm going to look for people that have strong voices and a, a message and they just need the resources, uh, mainly being time and space, um, freedom for the demands of everyday life, which are, can be perceived as stressors that trigger people with PTSD, free from all of that. And then mm -hmm. they should have that freedom um, to get their message out in a productive way. And that's the goal. And then I would help, you know, with figuring out ways to get these messages out. I'll certainly have host um, like community local gatherings. I'm in Humboldt County, Arcata, California area. Okay. And, you know, like rent a yoga space or go to the bookstore and have a reading. Um, you know, there's po live poetry readings and things in this area. Okay. Um, then just let the veterans get out there. I've even thought of having some sort of closing ceremony when the veterans' time is done, have a ceremony where the community can come together and we just kind of honor their process in community. I thought there might be potential healing in that, you know, closure. Soldiers don't get that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, and you know, the, I can see that this is going to grow and this is a, a, a lot of, um, you're going to grow with it as, as well. And so this nonprofit is, is yeah, is going to be, it, you know, I it, it's going to, I look forward to seeing where you're going to be at a year from now with it, because I'm sure that there's going to be so much to go with it. And, and so you've got a book coming out that you're, that you're writing right now. So we can look forward to that. So we're going to have to start to wrap it up, but I want to just, I have a website that they can go to and we haven't even talked about your podcast, but I'm going to go, if they can go to, um, you know, their podcast is called the Humboldt, the Humboldt Lighthouse.com. If anybody wants to go to that website, it gives the, you can reach Nathan um, at this website. Also, Nathan, is there any other, anything else on how they can reach you? Also a way that they can talk about the nonprofit and maybe, you know, uh, you know, do some donations. So uh, yeah. you want to. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Ema. There, on the Humboldt Lighthouse website, there will be a link to my personal page, nbhankus.com, and mm -hmm. that'll link them to my personal page that has, uh, it has, you know, the first chapter of my book that they can read if they like it. They can put in their email, and I'll just send out one email when the book is available for purchase, and um, so they can check that out. Uh, it has information on the nonprofit and a link to donate. I even mm -hmm. have a picture of the mother-in-law unit on there that I'm currently mm -hmm. repairing. 
uh, so they can check that out and really uh, make it concrete in their minds. And more information on the podcast, which obviously if they go through the podcast website, they'll see. Yeah, it's been a it's been a great journey, and I like you said, it continues to evolve and grow over time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there've been many great people that will say that uh, their life is their message. So that's I'm kind of taking that to heart. And I've always I think anyone who's got the fiery soldier spirit inside of them uh, likes to lead by action and that's what I am doing so <laughs> I hope that I no, can absolutely. help others and um, hopefully inspire some people well definitely in, I, like I, I said, we're living in dark times hopefully you know there's, yep. there's positive things all around us though so absolutely absolutely yeah. and I think that 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 what you're doing is really positive and I and once again I see it just growing and doing so many really wonderful things for um veterans um of you know so you know congratulations on your step forward to this and congratulations on your healing and I thank you for being on the show and I just want to let everybody know that uh, you can hear, you know, thank you once again to the uh, Planet family out there. Um, I love hearing from all of you guys and love to hear about you guys, what you guys think about Nathan's uh, show, you know, being on the show. Also, that you are, you can uh, tell your friends that we are on iTunes. We are on Spreaker, on Amazon. You can bring us up on Alexa and Echo. And we are on iHeartRadio. And, of course, you're listening to blogtalk.com uh, on us. So we are here. And thank you once again to Lions Radio Network. So, Nathan, uh, you know, when you have your book out and ready to go, you know, I'd love to hear back in the continuation of where your uh, nonprofit is and what other kinds of uh, what why, what work are you doing at the time. So maybe we'll have you back. And thank you for being on I the show. I love that, Nima. Is there any last words? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so that, much. That, absolutely. Any last words that you'd like to say to any fans out there? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from people. I love receiving messages about my podcast or even this conversation. So if people want to um, contact me, just go ahead to the humblelighthousepod.com, the podcast website, and my email is at the bottom of the page. I'd love to hear from you all. Thank you so much, okay. Ema. All right. Thank you again, Nathan. All right, everybody. We'll be back next Saturday. In the meantime, Stay grounded and be kind. Thank you so much. Spiritual Intelligence is a show.